Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I would hope that you feel that same kind of pull with inside of you as well, knowing that this earth and all its beauty and all its splendor, and God is so amazing in his creative ability. I love it. Go out there, look at the ocean. I'm always in awe when I go and stand out and watch water. I love it. What do I love most about it? That God did it and that he did it all. And I can go to the mountains and I'm in awe, not of the mountains themselves, but of God and his creativeness. But this isn't our home. Have you taken the time to thoroughly grasp the creativeness of Jesus? He made the world you live in, the entire planet Earth, everything in it, and even the universe it sits in. By simply looking to the beauty surrounding you, you can gain a great confidence in His greatness. Today, Pastor James encourages you to see Jesus in all things. Realize that this world you're in is one of God's masterpieces that He adores. Acknowledge this and allow it to bring out a love for all of His creations. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 47 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Joseph is like the second in command of Egypt, and now he's in a position because God was with him and God is directing his steps, as what we would think is like, this is a tragedy. Joseph got sold into slavery, down to Egypt. That's a tragedy. Where is God? Oh, he's right in the middle of the story. He's right in the middle of the story. But that's not how it's supposed to work. Who are you to say? Who am I to say how it's supposed to work? I think God's in control, and I think he can do whatever he wants. And he's got a good plan if I can take a step back and say, okay, Lord, you know more than I do. You see all things. I don't see all things. So I should probably trust you, right? I should probably trust you. Yes. The right answer is yes, you should trust him. Because what we would, what we would label as catastrophes, God is right there in the midst of the whole story. He's with Jacob or with Joseph. He's using it all for his glory. And here's Joseph now in a position where he can provide for his dad and for his brothers and for his nieces and nephews and for everybody. They are dependent upon Joseph for their survival, for everything that they need. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It's wonderful that this is kind of like a picture of Jesus where it's like, Hey, do you belong to Jesus? You're in good hands. You're in good hands. Well, it feels like I'm living in Egypt. You are. This world. This is. You are in Egypt. Yeah, absolutely. Feels like he's not here. No, no. He's here. He's present within your life. Feels like I'm locked in prison, right? Like where I'm somewhere where I'm not supposed to be, and I didn't do anything to get here, and why is all this happening? No, listen. He's still with you. He's still with you. What you need to do, what I need to do, What we all need to do is just keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who God is using to provide and supply all of our needs. What do you need? He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Jacob and his whole household are down in Egypt now. They're away from the promised land, but they're in good hands because the one who has been sent there by God is the one who will supply all their needs. 
the entire time they're there. The same translates to you and I today. The same thing translates to us today. You, we don't have anything to worry about, yet we are a society that is consumed with worry. It's growing. It's growing. Worry, anxiety. It's growing within our nation. It is the, it's an epidemic. It is an epidemic. You know what the leading, number one leading cause for junior high students is? Suicide. You know why? Anxiety. Fear. Worry. How is that a reality in our world today where junior high students see no way out that they're taking their own lives? This is crazy, but this is an epidemic. And I think, I think it's something the enemy is using because the most common command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Cast all your cares onto him. Why? Because he cares about you. That's the truth of the word. That's the reality that we live in. But man, sometimes it doesn't feel real, right? It doesn't. It doesn't feel real. But that is truth. That is truth. And truth supersedes our feelings. For Jacob and his household, they're living in Egypt. This has got to be uncomfortable for them, so to speak. Now, they're grateful because it's a place where they can raise their livestock in the course of the famine. But this is not their home. This is not their home. And Jacob will even express that to Joseph towards the end. He says, listen, don't leave me here. Do not leave me here. Don't even leave my bones here. This is not where I belong. Where I belong is in the promised land. So we know it's good that they're there. They will be well taken care of while they're there. But they also know, man, this isn't, my, this isn't home. This isn't home. I, I would hope that you feel that same kind of pull with inside of you as well, knowing that this earth and all its beauty and all its splendor, and God is so amazing in his creative ability. I love it. Go out there, look at the ocean. I'm always in awe when I go and stand out and watch water. I love it. What do I love most about it? That God did it and that he did it all. And I can go to the mountains and I'm in awe, not of the mountains themselves, but of God and his creativeness. But this isn't our home. Now, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't think it's going to be a flat ball where no mountains or no, I mean, it says no more sea, but I think that means something different in Revelation. I mean, that's especially for all, all, all you water lovers out there and surfers and everything. I think there's going to be some epic surf out there, but I don't know. That's my, I got some other friends in California who are holding fast to that same thing. I got my buddy in New York who's holding fast to the fact that there's going to be amazing donuts in heaven, and then all my surfer friends in California are like, no, there's going to be some epic surf in heaven. I don't know. I don't know what that means. All I know is this. This is just a, a shadow of what's to come. That's it. That's it. But in the meantime, you will be taken care of. Haven't you been? I mean, have we not been? I can look back on my life and just in 20 years of walking with the Lord, and there's never been a position he has placed me in that he didn't come through for me. It didn't always work out the way I thought it was going to, but I've never been in a, pl- in a position where it's like the Lord's left me high and dry. It's never happened. Now, it, he doesn't always answer the way that I think he maybe should have, right, or how I would have wanted him to, but that's beside the point. Has he shown up? Yes. Is he faithful? Yes. Does he love his kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. So now let's look at Egypt. 
uh, Egypt. This is part of Joseph's plan and how God was going to use him during this famine because the famine's still going on. Verse 13, now there was no food in all the land for the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought money or brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. Joseph answered, give me your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. So he's got this master plan, this brilliant plan of like, listen, we got seven good years. We're going to store it up because it's all going to run out. And then the money is going to run out. And so when people don't have money to buy groceries with, well, what do you do? Well, what do you have? That's collateral. I got a horse. Give me your horse. I'll, change, I'll trade you your horse for some food, for some grain. Um, and he's just setting it up. And, and this, is, uh, this is just something that, that really is working out in the favor of Pharaoh throughout the whole thing. Verse 18. And when that year was ended, they came to him and the, they came to him the following year and, and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our, all our money is spent. The herds of our livestock, well, they belong to you. They're my, they're my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of, of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food and we will, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. I want you to understand that this is also the people's idea, right? They're like, okay, we're not having more livestock. What do we have left? Well, we've got our land, we've got our property, and we have ourselves. So what we'll do is we'll exchange our land and ourselves for food. We'll give all our, all our land, all our possession, so to speak, over to Pharaoh. This was their idea that they're presenting to Joseph. And they go on to say, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. Verse 20, so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land, right? So you isolate the priests and those who worked for, you know, for Pharaoh and, and their gods and all this stuff kind of like what Israel is going to do for the Levites and everything. They got their own land. We're not going to tax them or anything like that. Verse 23, then Joseph said to the people, behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest, you shall, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh or 20% and four fish you shall give or shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households. And as, food and, or as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So J- Joseph made a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. And the land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. So 20%. Give 20%. You give 20% to Pharaoh, the rest you get to keep. That's not bad. That's actually a fair deal. That's a fair deal for these guys. You might be looking at it and you're like, man, that's kind of rough. No, that's actually a fair deal that these guys got because of what? Because of Joseph. Now, if it were anyone else other than Joseph, can you imagine what that percentage would have been? 
If it was anybody else who was not being used by God and had the hand of God on him in his life and a man who functioned through compassion, all these people could have been taken advantage of, 50%. You give Pharaoh half, you keep the other half. What could they have done? What are you going to do? You can't stay in Egypt if you don't agree to those terms. You're going to die or you got to move somewhere else in this world where it's a very dangerous time to travel anywhere, what are you going to do? See, somebody could have robbed these people blind, but Joseph was there and says, listen, 20%. You give Pharaoh 20%, you keep the rest, and sow into the fields and all that good stuff. And when the harvest comes, Pharaoh gets, he's entitled to 20% of whatever comes out of the ground, but you can keep the rest. That was a, that's a very fair deal for these guys, very fair deal. Some of you, especially if you're in the self-employment realm of things, you'd be like, 20%? Eh, that's not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah, I'll take 20%. Yeah, that's all I got to pay on taxes? Sweet. Yeah, 20%. Let's do it. Um, but that was the plan that Joseph had. He's like, listen, here's how it's going to work. And, and in doing so, he saves the people, he saves the land, and he makes Pharaoh a very wealthy man. A very wealthy man, okay? Now back to his family. Verse 27, it says... Thus Israel, this is Jacob, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, uh, well, Israel in the sense of concerning Jacob and his family, they gained possession in it, and they were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the, li- the years of his life were 147 years. Um, just a, another fascinating point, when, when Jacob and his family came down to Egypt, now there's... A number that was put on it of 70 people total, and then Acts uh, says like 75. That's probably counting grandkids and all that stuff. But you go from 70 people, in 400 years, they're going to blossom and bloom, explode into upwards of like 2 point something million people. And that's just at a, I think, a 6% growth rate over the years. Like that's not, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty fair estimate concerning how big the nation of Israel was going to get by the end of this book. Okay, well, into Exodus chapter 1. They're going to grow and they're going to thrive. They're going to become a huge nation. The other cool thing, verse 28, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. How old was Joseph when he was taken from his dad and sold as a slave down to Egypt? 17 years. Jacob had his son Joseph with him the first 17 years of Joseph's life. And then there was a pretty significant gap there. But then... He got the last 17 years to be with his son. I think what may be there for us today is a good reminder of this. Sometimes things start off well, and then something happens, and then there's a gap. It doesn't mean the story's over. It doesn't mean the story's over. I know Jacob and Joseph both probably felt as as though they would never see each other again. Even Joseph was asking his brothers, is my dad still alive? Is my dad still alive? We know Jacob was living in a reality because of his sons who lied to him, saying, basically, your son's dead. And Jacob lived with that reality for those years. But this, again, is a testimony to the grace of God. We got the first 17 years, and that's sweet, and that's a cool thing. But it's the latter part, that last 17 years. There was a gap. You can't do anything about the gap. Can't do anything about the gap. And God is in the midst of that gap, too. Whatever happens, whatever, you know, family stuff, there, sometimes there's going to be gaps. 
God's still in the midst of those things, but it doesn't mean the story's over because there can be another 17 years, so to speak, where God can bring it back together and it can be better than what it was at the beginning. That's how this relationship ends between Joseph and his dad, Jacob. Joseph was favored by his dad. He was favored by him those first 17 years. He was spoiled by his dad those first 17 years. And you see, the, you see something happen pretty significantly, significantly within their lives as these two are back together again. But you'll note the depth of their relationship now. And it's not a dad who's showing favoritism to this one son because he's the firstborn son of his actual favorite wife. It's not that anymore. Verse 29, it says, And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight. What a phrase by a dad to his son. What a phrase. What, what a crazy thing. Never miss these things too, when you're reading through the Bible, which we should be doing, right? It's, it's food for our souls. We need the Bible in our lives daily. Sometimes we can read right past these things. If now I have found favor in your sight. This is Jacob saying this to Joseph. And to, to me, it's like nonsensical. It's like, what? Jacob, are you serious? Of course, you're his dad. But this is Jacob recognizing Joseph and how God has used Joseph tremendously to save him and his household. Totally different man, it seems like, J- Jacob is in his interaction with his son. Put your hand under my thigh. That's a weird thing they did back then. And praise God we don't do this stuff anymore, Rand. Oh, my goodness. You, yeah, go sign a contract with somebody and have that, that exchange. That's the strangest thing ever. Like, yeah, just slide your hand right under here. Right under here, yeah. This is how we make this official. I'm like, now pass. Pass. I don't know. I don't, yeah, no, I don't, that's just so weird. Um, this is what they were doing. This is how they did things. This was like a sign of like, this is a covenant, okay? This is like a very intimate, very intimate deal that's happening between a father and a son. Between a father and a son. Put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Again, I think this is highlighting the fact that here's Jacob. He's gone through it all. He's lived a life. And he stood before Pharaoh and he says, listen, all my days haven't been perfect. They haven't been perfect. I've messed up a lot. Now here he is before his son. And he's, and he's telling the son, he's speaking to his son like as if his son would ever wrong him. He wouldn't. But this is how Jacob, I mean, this is just, again, it's showing how this man functioned all throughout his life. He's like, he's like, man, if you could just, would you just make sure I'm taken care of? Will you promise to deal kindly and truly with me? This is coming from the man whose name means deceiver, somebody who didn't know a lot about the truth in telling it and enacting it out. And you can still see those scars on this old man at the end of his life. Because he knows Joseph is totally different from him. Totally different. Totally different. But you still see those scars on this old man saying, hey, don't deceive me. Please don't pull one over on me like I did my dad. This is just a broken guy at the end of his life having a very intimate interaction with his son. Do not, do not leave me in Egypt. But, verse 30, let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he answered, Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. 
And he said to him, swear to me, Jacob, tell the son, pinky promise. He's like, you promise, man. Promise me. Oh, you can trust him. (laughs) Jacob, he's not like you. You can trust him. You can trust him. Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. And this is, uh, in one sense, this is like an act of worship. And what you should know, read Hebrews chapter 11 concerning all those within the hall of faith. Uh, There is a reference towards um, Abel and his act of worship towards God. But it it illustrates or it, it really highlights the fact that Jacob was one who worshiped God. Now, all of the rest of them did that. But in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, it really pinpoints that as a mark of Jacob's life. When he worshiped God, the dude worshiped God. He worshiped God. And we'll, we'll see some remembrance of that as he's going to retell the story in Genesis chapter 48, because he's not dead. Not right here. He didn't die right here. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But between this interaction between him and his son, with his son making this promise to him, this oath to him, he's just going to rest his head. And what's he going to do? He's, he's just going to worship God because he knows he can trust his son. And he knows, even more than that, he can trust God. He's an old man who's lived a life imperfectly. But one thing he's gotten right is that he can trust God. He can trust God. And that's kind of how we'll see Jacob closing out the rest of his life. Next week, we'll finish out the life of Jacob. And then there's only two more chapters to go in Genesis. And we'll see the closing of Joseph as well. But what a cool story. What a beautiful story. It's a story of mess, and it's, that's a family. You may be taking notes through that thing, and you're like, this sounds like my family. Hey, you're in good company, right? Like, it doesn't matter. God will use anybody, anybody who's willing to be used by him. If, you, if you're one of his, make yourself available to him and just say, okay, here I am. Here I am. In all my mess, in all my mess, Lord, here I am. How do you want to use me? And he'll use you. He, he will use you, but never, even in that, that's like a side note thing. What, what I really want you to understand is that in the midst of your story and your sojourning, you've got to understand, if you belong to Jesus, he is with you every step of the way. Every step of the way. Every step of the way. And it may feel like at times, because I, and I can testify to this, where I look around, I'm like, where'd you go? He's like, well, I'm here. Where did you go? Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I come back to you. I want to go through this. I want to, I want to walk through this thing, this pilgrimage, this journey, hand in hand with Jesus, hand in hand with him. And at times, he's dragging me along. At times, he's carrying me. Yes, I know that. Um, at times, I get too far ahead of him. I do all that stuff. I do all that stuff. The testimony of Jacob is a testimony of grace. The testimony of James is a testimony of the grace of God. Your testimony is a testimony of the grace of God. That's what people need to see, and that's what people need to know. So you can stand before somebody even as high up as a Pharaoh, and they should be able to see like, huh, there's something different about you. There's something significant about you. What is it? It's the grace of God. That's all I can say. It's the grace of God, and that's it. The 
historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call Him Lord and who follow Him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent His only Son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, He's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love and give